and welcome to episode 4 of That Tech Show, the show that reveals the magicians behind the magic that is our everyday technology. We've got an awesome show lined up for you today with a great guest and the latest in technology news. My name is Chris Adams and I'm here with Sam Gregory. Hi Chris. Hey Sam, so tell us about today's guest. So Simone is a good friend of mine. We actually used to work together at a place called Digital Detox where she was a project manager and she's always impressed me with her skill set as you'll all soon come to learn. Um, And we just speak about project management, kind of, you know, the ins and outs of it and how she approaches things using her fast experience and how she's worked with the likes of Vodafone, Barclays and Booper. Well, that sounds great, main event, we get to that, we let's take a Simona. quick spin through this week's tech news. Climate change research with Harvard and an iceberg the size of LA. Reddit and the Federal Reserve go down while GameStop goes up once again. Crypto, $6 million NFT art, GPUs and silicon shortages. LastPass security flaw, true or false. $650 million Facebook class action suit. McDonald's voice assistants, Globe Radio and retro 70s programming returns. And first up, climate change and geoengineering balloons. I live in a little town called uh, Hornchurch in Essex, and I'm actually working for an agency based in Brixton called Digital Detox. Um, I've worked there now as a project manager for about six years, coming up to six years. Um, So at the minute, I'm working part-time since coming back from maternity leave. Um, So I'm kind of, um, I guess, a a part-time project manager, um, but still, you know, full-time as ever. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's kind of me. Nice. So let's dive into it. Um, So what is, you're a project manager, so what is a typical project look like to you um when when a client comes to you like what is the ask um so i mean the projects range quite a lot they range from kind of um you know sometimes we just have like a a brief where it requires some ux and design um and maybe that's it and then on the other scale it could be building a whole new product which requires ux design it requires a business analyst to scope the requirements and then a development team to actually build it and QA to test it. So it ranges from a really small project to quite a big full-on you know, team. So what's the first thing you do when you get a project? So typically, um, the way I manage projects is using an agile uh, methodology such as Scrum. And the first thing that I do is uh, set up the um, Scrum ceremonies. So, you know, I think when you kick off project off, you kind of want to have all the things in place like the stand-ups, the sprint reviews. Once all those things are in place, the team know that we're going to have to kick off the project. And initially, before we start any of the ceremonies, we will have a project kickoff. So that will be the first item on the agenda. And I think that really helps. And it's really important because you need to get the whole team on the same page. People need to understand what the project goal is. People need to understand what the stakeholders want. And once you get everyone in the team, once everyone is on the same page, then you can move forward with the natural kind of scrum cycle. Mm. Um, Do you automate any of that? 
not so much an automated system, not for setting up um, like the ceremonies, because that kind of has to be, you know, a calendar invite in everyone's needs, in everyone's calendars. Um, but I do have like a checklist, so um, which gives you a list of all the things that you should do when starting off a project. So that helps you to kind of run through and think, okay, I've done this. So I've set up, you know, the timesheets for everyone to complete. I've set up the, you know, uh, a GitHub board or a Jira board or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, we, we, we don't have anything that automates it as such. I don't use anything that automates those particular things, but I just have a sort of like a, I guess, an initiation checklist to go through before a project really starts. Mm, yeah. yeah and do you get a say in any of the team that you use or are you kind of just given a team and that you have to kind of make work it kind of depends on two things um one of the things that we do is people planning uh, on a weekly basis so we actually see which resources are available um to make sure that you know there's people available to when a new project kicks off so that depends on two things um the people planning and then also um, just capabilities and, you know, what, what the project requires. So, you know, for example, if we're, doing, we're building an app in React Native, then we'd need a developer who has that knowledge. So, um, yeah, um, we kind of go, go by that, basically. Mm. And so are you as a project manager relied upon, like, do you kind of need to keep your ear to the ground in terms of which developers and team members are good at what and so we we get involved in kind of the um contract phase of the project so when writing a statement of work we normally figure out what resources will be needed for the project so we also have an idea of who may be available to kick off that project so that's why the project managers are involved in that contract side of things so that we can be you know prepared for when the project kicks off and be you know, able to onboard those resources um, as soon as possible. Mm. Okay, nice. Yeah. Um, so you've you've kind of started a project. You've you've got all the ceremonies in place. Are you like? Do you run any kind of? Um, are you in charge of any kind of strategy or kind of discovery or requirements gathering process, or are you kind of given and the project and told to run with it? So uh, I think obviously it depends on the project, but if we are talking about a big project, um, then what we tend to do is something called a discovery phase, which basically allows us to um, understand, you know, what are the overall requirements? What do, especially where a project, there's loads of stakeholders involved. We want to understand what each of those stakeholders may require. Um, and then in that discovery phase, we kind of create a more structured and detailed delivery plan as to what we may deliver. Cause even though when you run a project in scrum, you're kind of, you know, you're, I guess you're, you have a backlog and you're just kind of ticking through that backlog. But in the discovery phase, we try and define, you know, how long something might take to build, even though we have a backlog, but how long is something going to take to build and what? the client can expect because every client will want to see uh, deliverables, you know, so it's, it's not just enough for you to say, Oh, well, we'll, you know, we'll get it done when we get to the backlog. And, you know, as we work through the sprints, they want to see key milestones. They want to see when you hit, when you will hit those milestones. So we use the discovery phase to do that. 
um, we gather the requirements, we figure out, um, you know, how long everything will take to deliver, deliver them a plan, a detailed plan. And um, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> I kind of no, rambled yeah, on does. with that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Yeah, it does. Um, and again, trying to understand the different roles, who do you think should be involved in those strategy sessions? In your mind? Um, so when doing discovery workshops, it really ranges. Um, we, we recently kicked off a big project. And one of the things we said is that a business analyst needs to be involved in all the workshops because they are the ones that are going to write the user stories, the acceptance criteria. So they are a key player in that first beginning stage. They need to be there. Um, so definitely a business analyst. Um, for the technical workshops, we ask that a lead developer is involved to kind of be able to provide in, you know, technical insight or anything that we may need to know. And then if there's like a UX or design workshops, then obviously a UXer or a visual designer to be involved in those. But um, we tend to kind of get developers involved in most sessions just because development has such a, I guess, impact on design anyway. So, um, you know, if you design certain things, as you know yourself, <laughs> when certain things are designed in a certain way, they can impact development a lot. So we, we tend to kind of involve developers in most of the workshops. Mm. So it's also important to know what's, what's actually realistic as well. Um, there can be many ideas kind of thrown around by people who don't necessarily understand not just the amount of work, but what is actually physically capable of in terms of design yeah. and, you know, in particular development. Yeah. And there's only so far you can go. And there might be some sessions like that need to be run around a certain feature. Yeah. And I mean, just going to say, we obviously try to involve the stakeholders. So whoever the product owner is, um, whoever's going to be the stakeholder who is the budget holder, et cetera, needs to be involved in those sessions because they are the ones that are going to tell us what those requirements are and what priorities they have as well. Mm. So how, how important would you say strategy is or discovery is to a project? Is it something you can kind of bypass or need? I think it's probably the most important thing to do. Um, we've had projects where clients have been really keen to just rush through it and just start on the development. And unless you have all the requirements, you know, really scoped out, um, documented, uh, acceptance criteria, user stories, everything. Um, I think it's just not, I think, I think it really, it can cause a lot of problems down the line. Um, especially where, you know, if, for example, something new or a new requirement comes along because it hasn't been explored in the discovery phase, it can cause a massive impact on the delivery. So having that discovery phase means you tick all the boxes, you explore the different avenues that you might want to take and you make a decision to move forward in the delivery phase. If you don't do that, then it can cause a lot of problems when you do arrive at a situation where something a new something new has been asked for the delivery team and you know, they, they just, they either can't deliver it or there's not enough budget, et cetera. So it's just best to explore those at the very beginning. And then the client can make a decision as to what, what you know, which option they want to go with. 
Mm. And, so I would and, say it's very important. Yeah, for sure. And I think even if those things are like the user stories and the rest of it, I mean, that's great. But just just a one-on-one discussion, uh, just chatting through a project, um, those nuggets of gold can be found in those discussions. Yeah. And it's, yes, it's it's really important and really helpful that that some of that stuff's already been done but even just a light kind of strategy light or something like that is almost necessary yeah i mean for sure one of the things that we try and do as well that we're doing actually with this project that i'm doing at the minute uh, it's a very big project and what we've asked is that the stakeholders actually um because there's a lot of stakeholders involved. So we've asked in the discovery phase that they all kind of get their requirements down. The BA then um, documents them and they use um, a technique called Moscow, Moscow prioritization technique. Have you heard of it? No. Um, so they basically have to go through the requirements and say what are the must haves, what are the should haves, could haves and will not have. So that's how they use use those kind of that technique to then prioritize those requirements. So that way we get all the requirements down, we prioritize them and we know we haven't missed anything out. Um, so that's something that's quite a good technique to use if there is ever, um, you know, maybe a rush through of discovery or something like that. Or you have a lot of requirements that you need to kind of um, narrow down a little bit in order to meet the delivery date or budget. Mm. Um, that's really interesting because I'm trying to put together a framework of like kind of discovery and I'll ask you now about what kind of process you use, but I think it's really interesting. Um, I guess Moscow is like an acronym. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 And I'll look into that. Yeah. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds, sounds lean. It sounds like straight to the core of, of what is necessary, um, yeah. to understand the scope thing. So other than Moscow then, um, Moscow, um, (laughs) do you have any kind of, actually, before we get too in depth, um, I'm super curious, um, about, because I I love discovery. I think it's super important. How, again, going from a project manager's perspective, I'm conscious that, um, project managers are like, everyone's got their role in this and like the, the team and the rest of it, how much influence are you in the discovery process are you facilitating the process are you like what are you doing in that session so normally um in the discovery we run a kanban board um so we don't we we run sort of well i'd say we run weekly sprints rather than two weeks because we normally move into two week sprints when we start the delivery phase but we run a kanban board we create you know i still kind of uh I'm involved, I'm involved in setting that up and kind of running that whole organizing everyone, making sure that everyone kind of knows what they're doing. Um, one of the key things I do as well is um, kind of setting up the workshops. Um, obviously, the more kind of technical workshops I run are run by kind of the lead developers or, or the developers involved in the project. And if there's like a design workshop, then that's again managed by a UX or someone like that. Um, my role mainly would be uh, in kind of the, you know, gathering the backlog, putting together the backlog, um, putting together the, like I say, the long-term delivery plan, what happens post-discovery. 
So I get involved in more the facilitation, the organization of it all. Um, Final question on discovery then. (laughs) How how much does it help you other than putting things together? What's the difference between someone, someone telling you, say the UX person running the session or whatever, and then telling you what the requirements are versus you being in the actual room? Um, I think you, I think, I think that's really important to actually, uh, it's a really good question because I think when you're in the room, you can ask questions. Um, when you get a page of requirements, what you will find is actually what happened to us recently. We've got a, a list of requirements, but everyone had just heaps of questions around them because um, unless someone's with you and explains them to you in detail and you can ask questions, you're going to need follow-up meetings. So I think having like a project kickoff where we run through the requirements, we then refine them more is really important. Mm. And interestingly on that, um, b- being given a, a list of requirements, often I find people and businesses and people are very self-diagnostic of their own problems and they they've decided they want or like a website and discovery is is a perfect use case to listen to the actual the problems that they're having and why they've led to the conclusion that they actually need a website because often sometimes like i've had clients come to me and like i need a website and i've asked them about it and it's like you don't need a website you need to put more money into marketing or or something mm. like that, you know, um, because they diagnose themselves. Um, at the end of the day, without, you know, without sounding too big headed, we are the experts. We've done this many times before, whereas they've probably done it, you know, a couple of times maybe. So we've done it a couple of times. So there's an opportunity for us to listen to them and hear what they have to say and then say, okay, we'll put our best foot forward then and suggest yeah. what we think is the, yeah, the right totally. solution for them. Like a doctor's analogy is the great uh, yeah. analogy that, that yeah, I, no, I use agree. for that. I, I completely agree. I think sometimes we also get clients come in with um, like technical solutions and they think that is the avenue to go down. Um, but when you actually look through, you know, their infrastructure, what they've set up, how they've done things, you can very clearly see sometimes it's not just picking what's cool and what's out now and what they should be doing. It's actually something completely different. So um, I totally agree. I think sometimes um, discovery allows you, like us to show the client that there's other solutions or things they haven't considered before. And I think that's why it's a good way to actually pitch why discovery is so important in projects. Mm, yeah and it's so key and back to what you said originally about project that haven't run discovery how badly they've gone um or how easily it can go wrong if 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 you don't get that upfront yeah. kind of analysis exactly, yeah um i'm conscious that we haven't I haven't asked you in a nutshell okay. what does or you know what does a project manager do like a project manager is like 
I'm going to use an ana- analogy now. <laughs> it's like Go for a, it. a captain of the ship. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's a pretty important role there, you know. <laughs> You know, captains go down with well, this ship as well while everyone's well, jumping. That's it. Who gets all the blame at the end of it? <laughs> A project manager. Yeah. Um, no, I, I do feel like um, we're kind of, you know, we're kind of expected to organize the team. So a project manager is kind of the central point of contact, the person that will organize the team that will kind of um when issues arise flag them they're kind of involved in everything but their output is more managing people and managing the clients and the stakeholders so it's all um like a developer their output might be code might be a feature that they built a designer might have the visual designs or um, you know, wireframes, what our output really is the kind of the people management side of things. So I think that's how I would describe a project manager. Nice. And what would life be like without a project manager, do you think? <laughs> Very disorganized. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it's kind of in the name, isn't it? Um, I think I think it would just, there wouldn't be maybe... I don't know. I think in projects where there isn't a project manager, there is a need for someone to step up and help the team to get going. And the project manager is the person that does that. So, you know, they are the ones that kind of like remind the developers, hey, we have a workshop you need to do, you know. Um, So I think, yeah, I think it would just be a lot more disorganized and probably not as... um, maybe not as even governed as well. You know, governance is another part of project management. So that's something that project managers also take on board. Mm. It's kind of like like a, a holistic view of all the different components, just how you can sort of, it's, and you use the word governance, it's, it's almost like you're kind of shifting things into place and allowing them to sort of breathe um i'm trying to think of an analogy to go with it but just kind of gently nudging things so that they stay in line sort of thing rather than dictating and unblocking things as yeah. well you know like one of the key things i do is just to make sure the developers and the designers and the ux can do their job so we don't we want people to deliver as fast as they can and to the budget that's been set so those are the things i need to make sure that happen and the way i do that is to help the people on my team to deliver what they need to mm. deliver um i think you know i think this could go into like a huge discussion so i'll do my best to avoid <laughs> that but i think <laughs> as an often misunderstood aspect of project management is actual psychology and understanding and understanding behaviors and things like that because you're obviously the biggest challenge you want people to deliver but you know, especially as now we know way more about mental health and mental well-being and all that. It used to be that you'd literally would, you know, back in Egyptian times, you know, you would whip people to do a job. Whereas we now know a, a, that's not the best way and the most productive way of getting something done. But a carrot or the stick. Yeah, isn't it? exactly. It's like right. <laughs> yeah. Um. And do you? And I mean, do you agree with that? Uh, uh, like an awareness or an appreciation for psychology is a big part of project management? Yeah, I think everyone has different working styles and I think that's something really important to note. 
most of the people I work with on my project management team, I now know their ways of working, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses. So one of the things I do is I know certain people are amazing at workshops um, and they enjoy them. Certain other people like to kind of just blend into the background. So where we do have a big client workshop, I'll get the people that I feel more comfortable presenting for them to lead the session and the others to kind of be more involved and facilitating and stuff. So I think it's really important to know things like that because if you put someone who isn't totally comfortable and doesn't like that, it's not going to work well. They won't look good in front of the client. They won't feel comfortable. It'll be, you know, because sometimes people need to be challenged. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's good to put people out of their comfort zone, but it's also not productive if it's something they don't want to do. So I think it's really important to understand people's kind of working styles, what they're in what sort of environment are they most productive um on the flip side i think it's the same with clients as well when you start working with someone you soon realize how they like to work so it's really important to have that psychology in place you know understanding early on you know is my client someone that wants kind of frequent reporting wants to know what's going wants to be involved or is it is he someone that is a little bit more laid back and prefers a you know a touch point once a week you know little things like that are really important to kind of understand from both sides the people you work with but also yeah. the clients yeah 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 so that's a good point and and where to keep it you know i think that whole conversation um about psychology and all the rest of it can kind of go on and on and i think it's becoming yeah. more more of a not an issue but like more of a topic of discussion so um yeah yeah, yeah, for sure. What would be your kind of day-to-day -day on a project sort of? I'm trying to think of a, from a client's perspective what they see from you versus what your team sees of you um, from, on a typical day-to-day. -day. Um, so typically my mornings always start with a stand-up um, and I normally run a couple projects at a time. So I normally have between sort of two to three stand-ups a day. Um, yeah and so and then the other things that we do is kind of managing um, like a jira board um, looking at tasks uh, seeing how they're progressing kind of running through if there's any questions or things i need to flag um we also use github so that's kind of if we're not using jira we may use github for like a task management um setting up like a little kanban board or a sprint board that we can use so whether it's jira or github um i'll be kind of running through the tasks um i do weekly reports for clients so um all the clients that i work with get a weekly status report on the project um giving them a summary of what we've done in the sprint what we're working on um we kind of, I also keep track of uh, a raid log. Um, so if there's any like risks or issues that need to be reported on, I let them know. Raid logs are normally for the bigger projects rather than the smaller ones. Um, and also uh, reports reflect kind of the project that it is. If it's a really big project, it does need a lot of governance. So we try and report as, on as much information as we can. On the smaller projects, it might be more of like a, a summary rather than, you know, in-depth in report. Um, another thing that I do is timesheets. So I have to track the time <laughs> that um, the people on my project are doing and making sure that, you know, it aligns with the budgets. 
Um, and then I also spend time in workshops or meetings, depending on where we are with a certain project or, you know, um, discovery phases, for example, are like very heavy in terms of workshops and meetings. And then gradually that kind of, you know, we, we fall into a sort of like a scrum cycle where we do the key meetings like, but, um, sprint reviews, sprint planning, backlog grooming, and then retrospectives and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a typical day, I guess. And have you always worked in like digital in your career? No, I haven't. So, no. no, I haven't. Yeah, I thought that because I was looking at your um, LinkedIn and I was I was looking at the roles and I didn't know whether they were kind of <laughs> digital or not. So, or like traditional, I don't know what the, you know. Yes. How does digital kind of compare to those types of roles, if at all? So before I moved into digital, I worked for a bank and I worked uh, based on Prince2, which I guess is kind of a very traditional project management method. Um, the way it differs is that uh, Prince2 is very structured. Um, it's There's a lot of documentation. Um, it requires a lot of tracking. It's very... It's quite, I guess a lot of people say it's quite old school um, if you compare it to Agile. Um, Agile is a lot, a lot faster in terms of you can get things. And that, I guess that's why Agile is used in software and digital because um, Agile, you know, is, allows you to kind of move things along much quicker. And if there's changes, you can adapt um, much better than you would in a method if you were using, say, for example, Prince2. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's very different, I'd say. Um, but I guess, you know, Prince 2 worked in an environment where it required a lot of structure, you know, um, for example, working in a bank, it is very, there's a lot of kind of checkpoints, approvals and things like that, where projects move at a much slower pace because they need to, because of the security, you know, um, things have to be very thoroughly checked before anything kind of gets done. So, um, yeah, I guess, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I've answered well, your question. I, it's just vastly different. I like how it's called Prince 2. Like, it, was there a Prince 1 or? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to Prince 1. Maybe there was. I don't know, you know. I just heard Prince 2 and I thought, like, the return of Prince or something like that. <laughs> Prince strikes back yeah. or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. So on that, you know, personally, I would say Agile is is not not so new anymore. No. Uh, you know, it was new. It was very very new, like like twenty years ago or something. But it's not so new anymore. Where do you think? Do you foresee any sort of methodology or any? maybe even social or economic kind of circumstances that will affect how we how we manage and deliver projects and all the rest of it do you see any kind of shifts from say agile in the short term with regards to digital projects um i guess it's it's quite difficult to say um what may happen um, one of the things that obviously you'll notice has happened is um, what's happened with remote working. You know, I think that's changing not just how, you know, individuals work, but how projects are run as well. You know, us having to move to a more kind of a virtual remote working kind of 
ways of running projects, meeting with people that I think I feel like that's had an impact. Like, for example, recently we've had to host a lot of workshops remotely. Now, the beauty of workshops is that you can get post-it notes out, you get everyone in the room, you can be very creative. So it, it's meant that we're having to do this now in a remote way. And how do you still make it as interactive, as engaging? And also, how do you get all the things that you want to get out of people doing it remotely? So I think, I think um, you know, that I, I, I can foresee that what's happening now with um, COVID-19 and us just kind of having to work remotely, I think people will start getting a lot more creative. Um, I mean, we've been using a tool called Mural. I don't know if you've heard of Mural, but we've been using that for workshops and it kind of allows you to do the whole like sticky notes and people can, you know, collectively enter ideas and stuff like that. And you can have different boards to capture ideas. Um, but it's just, it's totally different from how you would run it in person. So I can see, um, you know, like project management as a whole may shift because we're having to adapt to new ways of working. Um, but yeah, I think that, that probably is the the thing that will may impact us most immediately. What do you think? Um, what do you think the biggest challenge is with remote working? If you were to pick one thing, I think the hardest is just kind of being able to um, very quickly get an answer from someone <laughs> for me anyway um you know a lot of the time you have to check someone's diary to see that if they're not in the meeting because if you sent them a slack message they may you know a lot of the developers for example they're in their zone coding they may not see a slack message so it's just really difficult not being able to just walk over to someone and ask them a question or talk to them or see how they're doing you kind of have to you know arrange a meeting get on zoom it's it's all these other steps that you have to take that i think makes it a lot harder now don't get me wrong like i i think remote working is is really great i think it's it's the way forward we need to embrace it rather than just you know we need to find ways that we can deliver workshops online and we can you know still interact with people online because I mean, I work part-time, as I mentioned, and one of the days I work remotely. And I think uh, for me personally, I find it, you know, working remotely gives me a lot more flexibility. And I think the more we embrace it, the better it is for everyone to kind of just learn what are the best ways. How can you still, you know, uh, work remotely and still feel part of the team or still not feel like you're kind of isolated yeah. Uh, so yeah, you you sort of half answered my uh, my next question, uh, which is what would be the biggest kind of benefit of remote working. But I kind of want to think I want to change my uh, question, like from a client's perspective, mm -hmm. what do you think is the biggest benefit for remote working? For us working yeah. remotely, in terms of knowing the team that, that, yeah, yeah, knowing that. So I was a client coming to you and said, hey, we're, we're a completely remote team. Um, our team works remote, um, particularly now if they're out looking for work and they have maybe like apprehension about what remote working. Uh, what do you think is the biggest benefit to, to those people? Um, I think obviously flexibility. Remote working brings flexibility. 
Um, I know when I'm working remotely, I can be a lot more flexible with time because, you know, I'm not commuting and things like that. So I think that can be um, a really good thing. Um, it's, I think, hmm, it's, a, it's a good question. I have to think about that one a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough because, you know, we, I guess we see the biggest benefit as being like productivity you know our productivity is more oh totally yeah that it's it's almost like with productivity you get a better product you know where you get more something that's more um your team is less burnt out yeah. um various yeah, things yeah. like that yeah um i just wonder if uh, how much of a sales pitch that actually is to um to a client about maybe it's something to talk to to someone a client about i actually think i actually think what has happened with covid19 is going to be like almost a lesson learned in ways of working for people and i think it's gonna make people realize that because i think there's a bit of a stigma around remote working maybe not so maybe it's i think i feel like it's getting better but i think there always has been you know oh, can you trust people to work remotely? And there's this kind of like a little bit like, oh, but I actually think like you said, um, there's a lot more productivity, there's flexibility. And I think, you know, with what's happening now, it's going to show employers, it's going to show clients that actually the whole world is doing it and it's possible. So I think it's going to be a really positive kind of impact, hopefully on this whole kind of remote working and being able to yeah still still be business as usual yeah i i'm super curious to hear see a result of this because there are dinosaurs um who really don't really do not see remote working as a viable solution but in this scenario their hand has been forced mm, exactly um, their hand's been forced and it would just be interesting to see you know do the figures say that there's any impact on remote working um like on the financials or whatever okay back to project management then um so what tools do you use because you mentioned slack you mentioned mural we actually use miro which oh, okay. i thought that's what you said at first but it sounds like one and the same thing really yes uh, canvas and you can create templates oh, okay, and yeah, things yeah. like that um, so what other tools do you use? So I've mentioned Slack. I mentioned Jira. Um, Jira, obviously, for project tracking. Um, GitHub is another one. Um, so I, I mentioned GitHub is obviously used by developers, but we use it for project tracking as well. Just makes it so much easier having everything in one place. Um, we use um, a tool called Fun Retro for retrospectives, um, which can be done remotely, which is very good um because actually some i find that a lot of my team um there's always one person or two people that are always remote so i kind of need to make sure that whenever whatever i'm hosting there's always uh, a remote option so um retrospectors and things like that you'd expect most people to be in but that's not always the case nowadays so um i use fun retro for that um what else do we use? Oh, we're going to start using a new tool. I haven't yet tried it out, so I can't recommend it or, you know, <laughs> say how good it is. But we're going to start using um, Harvest um, for kind of time tracking. 
um, so time tracking, but I know that can be done on Jira as well. So you can actually track the time that someone spends on a task. Mm. Does it get quite granular then your task tracking? Um... At the minute, no. At the minute, we we just use a time sheeting system where people just enter their the time they've they spent on a project. Um, but it's not like it's broken down by task. Um, I know some clients want it quite detailed, and I know that can be done in Jira. I'm not sure about this harvest tool because I've not used it before, and it's something that I think I'm going to be onboarded next week. But yeah. What? So you're you've got all these tools to manage everyone else's time and all the rest of it do you kind of have on your phone or wherever do you have your own personal uh time tracking or how do you manage your own time very meta (laughs) very meta question how do you project manage project manager i'm actually really old school so i very much stick to 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 do list on in my notepad um so old school and i love it though this is so because I work part-time, um, it means that I have to spend um, sort of the first sort of an hour of my day just going through what I missed on the day I wasn't working. So I kind of start off going through all my emails, Slack messages, anything else, you know, and then I create a to-do list in my notepad. I'm very old school like that because I just find it, I find when I write things down, they stick in my mind. Um, so that that's just how I basically go through it. And then I tick it off. I find it really satisfying to stick things off so me too i use i mean i don't use a pen and paper but uh i've resorted to having yeah. a an app um but 9 a.m you know every morning or 8 a.m if you're my uh, client <laughs> 8 a.m every morning i'm uh, i just sit down and i think about my day and i make my list um anything that gets added throughout the yeah. day it just kind of yeah, gets yeah. added to the bottom of that that list and then you get that satisfaction of boom, 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 exactly, boom, boom. Yeah. Um, I'll try and wrap up quick, quickly then. Um, what typical hurdles do you encounter on a project? Are there kind of ongoing themes at all or is it quite different? Um, I think it really depends on a project. Um, I think requirements changing is one of those. Uh, things kind of as you progress through your project, um, people start to realize, oh, actually, we need to do this or, um, you know, this isn't the right solution for us or, you know, things like that. That's why, as we mentioned, and why we spent such a long time talking about it, the discovery phase is so important um, to really lock those um, requirements down and make sure that, you know, if anything does change, that we track it um, and that, you know, we can then always go back to the client and explain that, you know, um, what the impact of these changes are and how, you know, you know, if they're willing to take, if they're willing to make that change, because that could impact the budget or the time, etc. So I think um, changing requirements is one. Um, I've made some notes because I, I was anticipating this question. So let me have a look. Um, managing stakeholders. So um, I think that's another hurdle is that some projects may have a lot of stakeholders involved, you know, um, and they all have different needs and wants and et cetera. Um, that's why I think with Scrum, it's so important to have one product owner who finalizes the decision. You know, you want that one person who's going to be the, the one to kind of just say, yep, you know, we know everyone wants this, but for this project, we're going to go this way. 
Um, and we need that from the client side. We need a, a spokesperson almost. Um, because otherwise it gets very noisy and it gets very difficult to really drill down what it is that needs to be done. Um, so I think, yeah, I think stakeholders is definitely one that, it, and it's also managing the stakeholders as well. So that's, you know, sometimes you don't always have a product owner um, in a project. So you, you kind of wear the hat of managing those stakeholders. And I think to do that, you have to kind of, um, as I said to you, try the technique of the, you know, prioritizing the requirements, getting them to think in a way that, okay, well, you guys all want this, but let's, let's go back and, you know, let's think of what is a must, what, what is a should, what maybe we don't need, um, take them through that kind of way of thinking about requirements or things that they want, um, and explain to them what are the kind of, I guess, um, you know, issues or what are the kind of, you know, what's the problem with if you want everything, <laughs> what will be the outcome of it? So, um, yeah. So I don't know if I uh, answered that, sorry. <laughs> no, no, you did. And uh, you, I had a follow-up question as well, which you answered as well, which is about <laughs> mitigating those or yeah. how do you stop those from happening or, or deal with those sort of thing. I think the biggest learning I got was the importance of the strategy, the importance of discovery is, you know, the best way to do that. But then if they do come up, it's about laying it out on the table and saying, you know, this is the impact where does it sit realistically with the rest of these things uh, because we've only got finite resources um one of the things i'd also say is in a big project um a raid log is very very important it's not really like no you know agile says you shouldn't do loads of documentation and stuff like that but when it's a really big project and there's a lot of people involved I think it's really important to communicate that list of risks, issues, assumptions, dependencies to everyone and keep them up to date because um, it's some, it's like your document, you know, it's like your source of truth. And if things ever come up or, you know, um, someone says, Oh, we didn't look into this. Actually we did raise it as a risk or an issue at the beginning. And likewise, a change log also is super important when you're up and running with a project because you want to log those changes. You want to make sure that you're tracking them. Um, because again, you know, there could be millions of changes, but you want to make sure that the ones that matter are being tracked and accepted. And the ones are just that maybe aren't as important are still being tracked. So if anyone ever comes back to you and says, you know, well, what happened with this? You have a, you know, you, you have a change log to kind of show. Yeah. It's, it's always kind of on big projects. I think, there is that need to document and track things. It's just, it's just necessary. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I recently had a project and it was just, it really came, really came to the nitty gritty on some, sometimes like what happened and when and why. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. if you don't have that, you know, it's your word against mine or, or whatever is theirs against ours or exactly. whatever, you know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'll look into that. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, um, cool. Final question then. How do you typically wrap up a project when it comes to the end? After you've gone out, you've had drinks and, you know, <laughs> woke up the next morning and regretted every decision that made. What um, happens then? So we normally do, again, depending on the size of the project. So we, we'd either do a retrospective or lessons learned. Um, we're trying, I mean, retrospectives we'll do kind of regularly. 
Um, but lessons learned it kind of comes towards the very end of the project. So everyone can kind of reflect back. We try and do it as soon as the project finishes. So it's fresh in everyone's mind still. Um, but you're kind of trying to, you know, you, you want everyone to feed back to you. And sometimes when a project ends and if it ends in a good way, it's always positive, you know, things like that. But it's important to capture the things that can be improved as well. So we'll do the lessons learned. And then what we try and do is um, throughout the project, we'll try and gather kind of um, pictures, images, um, kind of uh, document things that we've kind of worked on that were challenging, et cetera. And then at the very end, we put together a case study for it. So um, that's more of a marketing task, but because we're the project team, we tend to be involved in the detail. So at the very end, we'll do the lessons learned and finish off with a case study and nice. wrap it up. Very cool. Well, I won't keep you from your dinner any longer. Um, what are you having tonight? Um, it's a posh fish finger sandwich. <laughs> Casey, you dog. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so good, much. Sam. It was, yeah, 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 it was good. I've, I've so many other questions <laughs> and, you know, and time and, you know sunlight um yeah well maybe because there's a prince two maybe we can do a simona part two maybe maybe (laughs) return of simona strikes back (laughs) i won't do any more lame jokes (laughs) all right then all right take care take care bye bye